Take your Bibles. Turn with me to Acts chapter 15. Boy, turn the, get some light on in here. Turn the lights on. All righty. Some of us going to have fun tonight. Some of us ain't. I just thought I'd warn you. They ain't no sense you not knowing what's coming. All right, we're going to talk about freedom tonight. I am a big fan of freedom. And I, I just, if Jesus bled his life out for me to be free, I'm keeping it. I'm going to be free. And I'm going to enjoy it. I'm going to enjoy it to the fullest. Uh, I'm, I'm going to point something out to you. From Jesus is just pure freedom. I mean, that's just all he is. Let me quote a few verses to you. We're not going to look at them. We're going to look at Acts 15. But Jesus said in John chapter 8, verses 31, 32, and 36, if you abide in me and my word abides in you, you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. Amen. And in verse 36, he whom the sun sets free is free indeed. What does that sound like to you? Does that sound like Jesus wants to make you free? Yes. He came to give freedom. Now people talk about the Holy Spirit, precious Holy Spirit. I love him dearly. And uh, 2 Corinthians 3.17 says this, wherever the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. Amen. Mm. that sleeping fog in here before I got up tonight, didn't he? Well, listen, Jesus is all about free. It's just freedom. I've never seen such a bunch of uptight, religious, bound people in my life. Jesus is pure freedom. All right, Jesus died to set you free from two things, two bondages. One is the bondage of what we, I'm going to call it just gross sin. Jesus came to set you free from sin. And that, you know, the list is in the Bible, you know, drunkenness, hell raising, hatefulness, prejudice, selfishness, greed, all that junk. We call that gross sin or whatever you want to call it. He came to set you free from that. You're a prisoner if you live in that. The Bible said he who is in sin is a prisoner to sin. Well, he set me free from that years ago. I was caught up in drugs and mess and I never was, you know, awful about it. I never used heroin but a time or two. I didn't like that mess going in my arm. I wanted the oral stuff what I wanted. And so I just decided to stick with plain old, you know, vanilla cocaine and pot and stuff like that. Just have a grand time. But he, I was miserable. He set me free from that and drunkenness and hell raising. Well, he set me free from that. But let me tell you something about this book right here. This book also says he came to set you free from religious bondage. Now, don't you listen to what I'm fixing to say. And you can read the Bible and find out if it's true or not. This Bible talks about Jesus keeping you free and you not going back into the bondage you were in before you got saved. And it talks about that. Don't be enslaved again in a yoke of bondage. Don't go back into drunkenness, hell raising, hatefulness. Don't go back into that. And this is what I'm fixing to say. That book talks 10 times more about staying free from religion after you find Jesus. There's a whole lot more in here about the dangers of being in religious bondage than the dangers of being in what we call the great sin bondages. Entire books in the Bible are written to keep you from religious bondage. And I want to talk about that tonight, and I want to help you get free and stay free and live free. And uh, it, it was a great debate all through scriptures. What do you have to do to follow Jesus? What? Somebody says, I just got saved last night. Tell me what to do. And if there's nine different groups, they'll tell you nine different things. And we've been fighting over this. They fought over it in the Bible. Jesus fought with the Pharisees. Paul fought with the crowd. Today we fight about it. And I just, I just, you, I know you think I'm just a pure T old rebel. No, I have tasted freedom and you ain't putting your junk back on me. 
I'm just not putting up with it. Jesus paid too high a price for me not to live free. Somebody should start a ministry, not just not getting free, living free. We need to stay free is what we need to do. And I want to show you the all, listen, you'll deal with this all your life. So let's learn something tonight. I'm going to whoop out my dirty dozen list tonight. And uh, in Acts chapter 15, let me tell you what happened. My beloved brother Paul, this is when the, Jesus has been risen and the, the gospel's exploding throughout the world. The Spirit of God's moving. People are coming to Jesus just like you came to Jesus. Holy Ghost is drawing them to Christ and they start following Jesus. And all of a sudden, we got a problem. I mean, right in the middle of all this explosive global expanse, we got a problem. He's in the town of Antioch. A lot of people have gotten saved. And all of a sudden, watch what happens in chapter 15. Certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. All right, you got it? Now, Paul taught, trust Jesus, you can be saved. Now, as we believe that for by grace are you saved through faith, and that's not of yourself, it's the gift of God. To have eternal life, be a child of God, you believe what Jesus died, did for you on the cross, and you trust him, you put your faith in him, you follow him, period. It's Jesus plus nothing. All right, let me tell you what happened here. These were Jews who had converted and they came down and said, yeah, yeah, you need Jesus. We need Jesus in the cross, but you need more than Jesus. You need more than faith in Jesus. And the thing that day was circumcision. That may sound weird to you if you're a modern, uh, you know, if, you, if you've never been in that time, but very few men were circumcised back then. And circumcision was the sign of the old covenant. They said, all right, if, you, if you're going to get saved, you've got to trust Jesus and get circumcised little higher price back then than it is now. Today, you just trust Jesus. And they said they got to add circumcision. And you're also going to see they added more than that to it. They had lists of stuff. That it was Jesus plus you got to do all this stuff. And now this junk is starting to infiltrate this pure early church. And they're trying to add to faith in Jesus. So they come on and say, nope, they got to do more than that. All right, verse 3. Two, Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them. Paul stood up and said, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Don't put your religious junk on these people. Jesus is all they need. All they need is Christ. And don't put your mess on them. And so he disputes with them and he argues. <clears throat> all right. They determined Paul and Barnabas and certain of the others should go to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. And says, so look, we're going to, we'll settle this. We're going to go back to the original people, elders, and we're going to settle this issue of what do we have to do to be followers of Jesus? Now, you people say we got to do all this stuff, and I'm going to show you some of it. And you guys say, all I have to do is follow Jesus. Who's right? Well, let's go back to the foundation and let's find out. So they take off. They go to Jerusalem. And uh, verse 4, they told the apostles what's going on. Verse 5, some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed rose up saying, it is necessary to circumcise them and keep them to keep all the law of Moses. Said, so, no, 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 wait, wait a minute. These people are going to get saved. They're going to have to be circumcised and they're going to have to keep all our religious traditions too. Don't you know, you ever heard of the Pharisees? Remember them with Jesus? Some of them got saved. Read that verse again. The sect of the, it talks about the sect of the Pharisees who believed. So these are religious people who did put their faith in Christ, but they tried to bring their dead religion with them into this thing of following Jesus. Now they got a dispute going on. They said, no, 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 you got to do all this stuff. And uh, they, there are 10 basic commandments, which is the law of Moses. They had it broken down into 6,000 subcommands. I'm struggling with 10. 
and they had more rules than Carter has got liver pills. It was just nutty. Let me just show you a few of them. Hold your finger here. Turn back with me to Mark uh, chapter seven. Mark chapter seven. I want you to see how gently Jesus handles religious people. In Mark chapter seven. All right, now the Pharisees were always fussing with Jesus. Religious people were always fussing with Jesus. Can I give you my humble opinion from Scripture? They still are. Religious people still wanting to fuss with the living Jesus. Verse 1, the Pharisees, some of the scribes came together, came from Jerusalem. They saw that Jesus' disciples ate their dinner with defiled or unwashed hands. They found fault. Really? Really? I just quit using cocaine and I'm trying to quit cussing and you're mad because I didn't wash my hands before I ate dinner. Well, wash your hands. That was one. How that, where they got that out of the Ten Commandments, I do not know. But they had it. And now they're coming down on these people because they didn't wash their hands. <clears throat> Verse 3, the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands in a special way. You can't just wash your hands. You've got to wash them just right. Yeah, that's what I say about this junk. I still say it today. Holding to the what? Tradition of the elders. All right, they came from the market. They don't eat unless they wash. And there are many other things which they received in practice. You can't imagine how many things they required of you. If you're going to be a follower of God, you don't have to wash your hands, wash them a certain way. They had all kinds of stuff they required of you. Like washing cups, pitchers. You even had to wash your couch. How many of you wash your couch? Gosh almighty. Verse five, then the Pharisees and the scribes said to Jesus, why do your disciples not live according to the tradition of the elders? Why don't your disciples do what the church tells them to do? So now they're confronting Jesus because even his people don't keep these rules. Jesus being very gentle answered them and said, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? You know, Jesus never wants to start a fight. He said, this people honors me with their lips, but they're what? It's always about the heart. With Jesus, it's always about the heart. It's not your dirty hands, it's your heart. He said, it's all about the heart. And watch what he said about them. In vain they worship me, teaching as doctrine the commandments of men. He said, you're not just teaching the Bible, you've added to the Bible. You've added your own commandments. Laying aside the commandment of God, you hold to the tradition of men, watching your pictures, and you reject the, verse nine, you reject the Bible to keep your religious tradition. All right, they did all this stuff. All right, back in Acts 15, they're telling them, you got to do all this stuff. You got you to you follow Jesus, plus you got to do all this stuff. Now we got a fight going on between church leaders and they're having it out over what all is required of them. And that's not good. All right, now here's a question. Who gets to decide? Who gets to decide what, how I should live if I want to follow Jesus? This isn't hard. So they, they have a great discussion. Peter, he says, uh, Look, he said, you, you know, and then I'll just narrate. And he said, you know that God chose by me that non-Jews should hear the gospel. Doing until Acts chapter 10, unless you were born in Israel, a Jew, you were not allowed to follow Jesus. You couldn't hear the gospel. Something happened in Acts chapter 10. Uh, this was where the, this is your chance to hear the gospel happened in Acts chapter 10. Uh, a guy named Cornelius, he was not a Jew. He was a Roman military commander. An angel appeared to him and said, God's heard your prayers. 
go to a house named Simon, who was a tanner, and there's a guy named Simon Peter staying there, and bring him, and he'll tell you how to find God. Apparently, this man had been seeking God. And so they go, well, while they're on the way, Simon, he, he's hungry, so they're fixing dinner. He goes up on the rooftop, take a nap, and uh, he's hungry. So God, in a vision, lets this sheet down in front of him. And this sheet's got all kinds of animals in it. And during that day, now you won't understand this, but during that day, you had clean animals and unclean animals. Or today we'd say kosher and non-kosher. And Jews were allowed to eat the kosher, but they were not allowed to eat the non-kosher. For instance, Jews never ate pork. They, they don't to this day, traditional Jews. And all these animals, and, and God said to him, kill and eat, Peter. He said, never. I've never touched anything unclean. That happened three times. And God spoke to him and said, do not call unclean what I've called clean. Even at this point, Peter still struggles with prejudice. This ain't about animals. This is about people. And they get to the door and the angel said to Peter, there are some men downstairs. I sent them. Go with them and don't ask any questions. So they ring the doorbell or knocked on it. I doubt they had electricity back then. And they go downstairs and uh, they said, what do you want? They said, Cornelius has had an angel said you could tell us how to find God. He said, well, it's late. Spend the night. We'll go tomorrow. So they go the next day and he, Peter's real nervous because he's going into a place of another race. Races did not cross then. They, they, it was worse than it's ever been in the United States. And he went in this to these Gentiles. And this guy, this Cornelius, has got all his family, his house is packed with people. And Simon goes in and said, what you want? He said, this angel told me you could tell me how to get to God. And Simon's stunned. This is after Pentecost. This is after the great outpouring. This is after three years with Jesus. He's shocked that God would care about people that weren't Jews. He's just, he said, I perceive God cares about all men. That's what that sheep thing was. And he said, well, I guess you're all here. Let me tell you what he did. He started talking about Jesus and the Bible said the Holy Ghost fell on the whole crowd. And he was stunned. He said, God saves bad people that aren't my race. He just was shocked. And boy, that got him in hot water because he came back and they said, you went into their house. How many of you know you can follow Jesus, still be screwed up on some issues? We're all getting straightened out. And, and he comes back, Simon said, you know, God, let me preach the word of God to those that weren't Jews first. And then he detailed how he did that. They go on through, you know, everybody's arguing and fighting. And uh, Paul told how it happened. James said, didn't God say in the Old Testament, he would save the Gentiles too? How many of you glad God said, I'll save the Gentiles too? There's about six of you didn't need that, but the rest of us did. All right. Finally, James, James is sort of the head guy. James emerges as the head man after Jesus is gone. Verse 19, therefore, James said, I judge that we should not trouble from among the Gentiles that were turning to God. Now, here's what we need to do. We're going to write him a letter. Here's what we're going to tell him. They're going to say three things. Obviously you, keep, obviously, you follow Jesus. Verse 20, we should write to them to number one, abstain from things polluted by idols. No idols. What, what is an idol? That's anything you worship except Jesus. He said, look, we're going to do three things. You can't worship idols anymore. So quit worshiping idols and Buddha and all that stuff. Number two, sexual immorality. You can't have sex with anybody you're not married to. That's not a religious tradition. That's scriptural. Have you never read the top 10? That's scriptural right there. He said, number one, you've got to quit worshiping idols. If you're going to follow Jesus, you can't worship idols. You can either love Jesus or you can love junk, but you can't love both. No idols. Number two, sexual purity. That's a big issue with him. And number three, this won't apply to you, although we practice it. 
Number three is in verse 20. He said, and abstain from things strangled and from blood. Because the Jews believed that life was in the blood. Well, we practice that anyway today because I don't mean to gross y'all out, but any slot, you eat them McDonald's burgers. Well, before they start on that moo cow to make them McDonald's burgers, they, they cut him and they bleed him. We bleed the blood out of all meat before we eat it in America today. Well, back then, pagans strangled animals and sopped it in the blood, the raw blood. And of course, that was, un, that was for, they said, that's just, they said, look, here's what we're saying to you. You don't need to be circumcised. You don't need to keep their rules. Don't worship anything but God, sexual purity, and don't involve in that blood mess with the pagans. That's all we're asking of you. That's right, right there. All right, so now they've done decided, this is what it means to follow Jesus. You gotta put faith in Jesus. You gotta obey him. So here's the letter they write. And I want you to see something very important here. Verse, uh, verse 23, they wrote this letter by them, the apostles, the elders, the brethren, to the brothers and the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia. Since we heard, verse 24, that some went out from us, troubled you with words, unsettling your soul, saying you must be circumcised, to whom we gave no such command. It seemed good to us, assembled with one accord, we're going to send men to you. Look at verse 28. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these, what? Essential things. Who got to make the decision about how they were going to live? That's a very important verse in your life right there. It seemed good to the Presbyterians, the Baptists. Seemed good to who? The Holy Spirit. And what'd they say? Whatever the Holy Spirit's saying, that's what we're going to say. So dear ones, I believe that the Holy Spirit should be allowed to tell me how to live. I don't think any group or anybody or my grandma or your grandma or some preacher or anybody else ought to start sticking stuff on me, ask the Holy Spirit, do what he says and hang the rest of it. They said, it seems good to the Holy Spirit and to us. And what do you say? There are some essential things. There's some necessary things you have to do to follow Jesus. I'm sorry. There are some essentials. They used to be, what were they called years ago? Does anybody remember? They were called the fundamentals. But out of the fundamentals came fundamentalists, which is not a far cry from Pharisees. So we don't call them fundamentals anymore. He called them the essentials. He said, here's the essentials. You can't worship anybody but God. You can't be sleeping with your neighbor's wife and stay out of the blood, period. That's all we want from you. And uh, that was the whole deal right there. Look with me. And he said, if you keep yourselves from these, you will do well, farewell. All right, dear ones, say you decide to follow Jesus. And you decide that you want to be a disciple of Jesus. You say, well, now, I go to church. Well, I don't make you a disciple of Jesus. You listen, going to church ain't going to get you in heaven no more than being born in the garage and make you a Volkswagen. You've got to know Jesus. You've got to be born again. You've got to have a new heart. But if I want to follow Jesus, do I get to pick what I do? What do you think follow Jesus means? It means, yeah, you can't follow you no more. I hate to tell y'all, this is making Christianity so hard. You've got to follow Jesus. How many of you know how many rules Jesus gave? They had 10 commandments, 6,000 subcommands. Jesus gives us right there. How about if I reduce it to two? Can you handle that? You say, you mean the 10 commandments are over? Yep. I didn't get amen out of that, did I? Turn with me. We're coming back. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 23. Matthew 23, and I'm going to tell you why. 
See, I told you some of us is going to have fun tonight. Matthew 23. I'm sorry, Matthew 22. Matthew 22. Here we go. All right, once again, all th- have you ever noticed how through all through the four Gospels, the Pharisees were arguing with Jesus? Over and over they're fighting with him. They're still doing it today. I right, watch what they said, Matthew 22, verse 34. When the Pharisees heard he'd silenced the Sadducees, those were the two different groups. Today in religion, we have the conservatives and the liberals. Back then, the Pharisees were the conservatives. The liberals were the Sadducees. Them spirit, the people die, but the spirits still live forever. All right. And he said this, one of them a lawyer. And that doesn't mean like, you know, do we cheat him and how a lawyer. That means like a, a preacher, teacher, law. That means a, a head preacher. And he tested him saying, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? They're always nitpicking over commandments. Now, Jesus rewrote the whole check right here. Watch this. Jesus said to him, you shall love God with your heart. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. This is the first and great commandment. The second's like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Tell me the two commandments. Love God, love people. Watch what Jesus said. Now read verse 40. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. You know what that means? You do them two things right there. You've done everything I ask you to do. Everything I ask you to do is found in two things. Jesus said to you, thou shalt not commit adultery. Not because he don't want you to have fun. He wants you to love your neighbor and have a life. Until you understand why he asked us to do things, you'll be a rebel. He wants me not to steal because you cannot love your neighbor and steal from him. They're in everything. There are Actually, 10 commandments, they're divided into two groups. The first four commandments deal with my relationship with God. One God, worship Him, honor His name. And then the next six commandments deal with my relationship with you. Honor your parents, don't steal, don't murder, quit wishing you had their Jeep. (laughs) Thou shalt not covet. Do you know why the commandments are given? So I could have a relationship with God and I can have a relationship with you. They're not to lock me down. It's so we can walk in love with Jesus and people. And just you can reduce the whole 6,000 subcommands to two things. Love God, love people. You've done it. Bingo, whole nine yards right there. All right, now here, here's the problem. Here's the problem. A religious spirit is a letter of the law guy. Jesus is a spirit of the law person. Got it? Do you understand the difference between the letter of the law and the spirit of the law? I dropped a boat off with a fellow seller a while back and he's, he's a dear friend. He's a dear brother. We like to talk about Jesus. He called me. He said, I got this thing so quick. He said, you need to come sign the title. He said, if it don't bother you, I'll just sign your name on it. That's illegal. And you know what he said to me? He said, that's not exactly the letter of law, but we're keeping the spirit of the law. I'm not stealing it from you. You know it. I said, no, I got to do right. Sign it for me. <laughs> he just signed me. You say, you broke the law? No, I kept the spirit of the law. I didn't steal nothing. He didn't steal nothing. He says, technicality. So you're one of them. <laughs> you're one of them. 
go to an independent Baptist church. <laughs> Friend, a Pharisee is a letter of the law guy, which means I'm always trying to do what? Catch you. The letter of the law is always trying to catch you. Let me show you something goofy. Matthew chapter three. See if you ain't seen this in church four. I want to say it again. Pharisees die. Religious spirits never die. They're still in the earth today. They just got different names. I can smell them suckers a mile away. I mean, it's like a fart in a crowded elevator. You just cannot get away from it. That ought to go over good, shouldn't it? Mm. I determine if you got one religious bone in you, I'll break it before we get out of here tonight. All right, I'm going to catch you. I'm going to catch you doing something. That's the spirit of a Pharisee. They're always trying to catch people. Look at me. You want to talk about a pathetic situation. Mark chapter three. Jesus entered the synagogue. A man was there who had a deformed hand. And they got this guy with a deformed hand and they know Jesus. Jesus is going to help somebody. So instead of saying, hey, the preacher instead of saying, hey, maybe he'll help him. Guess what they're doing? They got a law. You honor the Sabbath. Okay, honor the Sabbath is number three. And out of honor the Sabbath, they had that broken down into several hundred subcommands. One of them was you couldn't walk but X number of feet on the Sabbath. And the other one was you can do no labor on the Sabbath. And if you're a healer, that's your job. And if you heal, you broke the Sabbath. These people will tie you up in knots. So Jesus comes in, a man with a deformed hand. And verse two, they watched him closely, whether he had healed the, on the Sabbath or not, so they might what? Criticize him. They're always trying to catch you, break their rules so they can come down on you. That's the spirit of a Pharisee. And, and of course, let me show you something here. You said, Brother Brian, we should honor those people. Jesus said to the man who had the withered hand, come up here. Why didn't Jesus just say, hey, look, dude, uh, tomorrow's Monday. I mean, tomorrow's after the Sabbath. Meet me down at the barbershop. I'll hear you down. I don't want to take nobody off. Why didn't he do that? Jesus, he's as bad as me to want to rub a Pharisee wrong. I mean, he just enjoys it. He gets off on this stuff. All right. The Bible said, uh, verse four, can I ask you a question? Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or evil, to save life or kill? What a question. He said, I thought everything God was doing was about helping people. What are y'all doing? But they kept silent. Verse five, when he had looked around at them with anger, you didn't make Jesus mad now. Let me tell you something. Your nitpicky religious rules that you want to put on people make Jesus mad. Why is he mad at them? Because of the hardness of their hearts. It's a hard heart that wants to come down on people because they don't do everything the way you think it should be. They're hard religious hearts. So Jesus said, uh, that ain't gonna find. He just went ahead and healed him. And you'll see one of the strangest verses in the Bible. Look at this. Well, they, they uh, verse five, let's read the hardness of their hearts. He said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out. His hand was restored as whole as the other. I want to ask you a question. If somebody did that right there in our church, what would you do? Would you be mad at him? Or would you think that's the coolest thing you ever seen? How many of you know it's really hard to straighten out a deformed hand? Jesus just heals this guy's hand. I'd be going, golly, I'd look like Gomer Pyle. I'd be sitting there going, you are the dude, man. Uh, let me see if I got something broke on me. I, you just, 
I'd go nuts if I saw that in church. You'll see how sick a religious spirit is and see how demonic it is. Look in the next verse. The Pharisees went out from there, immediately plotted with the Herodians against him, how they might destroy him. He broke their nitpicky rule on a Sunday. They go out and discuss how they can kill God. I'm telling you, that thing's evil. He said, Brother Brian, you make too big a deal out of it. I'm sick of watching people in bondage to junk Jesus didn't put them into. They need to be set free and get, get out of this myth. All right, religious is a, is a letter of the law. Jesus is a spirit of the law guy. The whole purpose behind everything he does is to get people to do two things. I want you to love God and I want you to love one another. Everything, that's it. You say, well, you're just making it too simple. How hard does it have to be? I've never understood why I get these requests. Well, I'm getting them now. I'm old now. Requests, would you come be our pastor at other churches? And the average church this size requires nine years of college for you to be their preacher, even to be considered. They require nine years. Of course, that kicks me out. And I just think, no wonder they're so screwed up. Nine years of college, you couldn't help nobody, could you? Can I ask you a question? How long does it take you to learn two commandments? Love God, love people. Can you tell me how to get saved? Yeah, put your faith in Jesus. There's my, I got my degree, let's go. And you're gonna take nine years to teach me that? You're nuts. I'm sorry. Jesus got mad at him, I do too. Was, Jesus said, listen, grace is a spirit of the law deal. I'm going to tell you, the letter of the law is trying to catch you. You know what grace is trying to do? Grace is trying to help you. Grace is cheering for you. Jesus is not daring you to mess up. Jesus is cheering for you saying, I'll help you. I'll help you. He is far more merciful than we think he is. Far more merciful than I. All right, number four. All right, here it is. Rules, rules, rules. Rules, rules, rules. Are you ready? They had their rules back then. We saw in Acts chapter 15, they had their rules. One of them was circumcision. Glad I was circumcised before I knew what was going on. I think I was about two days old. I wouldn't want to go through it at 63. I'd, that's a high, you got to really mean to follow Jesus. You go through that today. <laughs> Plus you kick all the women out. I'm telling you, it's nuts. And then they had their rules about having to wash your hands a certain way. I'm sorry. My wife, she passed that test. I wouldn't, I, you know, if I, they talk about a four second rule on the floor. <laughs> if it ain't got fungus on it, I'm going to pick it up and eat it. It don't matter to me. <laughs> And I'm not going to wash my couch to keep the preacher happy. Are you serious? And people are nuts. But that was their rules. You say, well, Brother Ryan, we don't have them anymore. Now's when the fun starts right here. We got a whole separate set of rules today. I call them the dirty dozen. And I'm going to list the, do the dirty dozen that I've noticed that churches try to put on people. And if you hold to them, you put them on people. This was not your night to be here because I'm fixing to make fun of them. And I've seen this put on people. I see them practiced in churches. And I'm going to go through the list right here. And uh, if, if, you, if, you're, if you bow out right here and you turn red, I'll know it's you. All right, the dirty dozen. <laughs> Today's list. And we do the same thing. It's the same spirit. It's just a different list. Number one, wardrobe. Wardrobe. How many people are told you're going to come to our church? You better dress up. Show me that in the Bible. Where do you get this stuff from? All right, all right. I... Love God by wearing something around your neck, a tie. Where do these people get this stuff from? I got friends who will beat you up over it. Preacher friends. 
She said, we're our best to the house of God. Show me that in there. Let me tell you what I'll show you in there. That's not in there. Let me tell you what is in there. In Matthew 23, Jesus said, woe to you Pharisees. And he fussed at them for dressing a certain way to go to church. You lengthen your phylacteries. I don't know where we get this stuff from, but I was raised, you couldn't go to church. We, I was just a teenager, just got saved. And you got to remember 40 years ago, dress codes have relaxed a little bit now. He may have relaxed a little bit. And he said, let your light shine. That ain't the one he was talking about. But I can remember we had this girl who'd been trying to get her to come to church. Listen, back, back when I was a teenager and got saved, we brought people to church with us. We wanted our friends to get saved. Now, we don't do that in church anymore. So we finally got this girl to come with us. And uh, the preacher said she couldn't come to church that night. She had on blue jeans. I, d- I didn't know. I was just brand new. And I thought, well, praise God, no blue jeans in the church house. You turn somebody away from your door because they got on blue jeans. That's, that's, how do you love God and love people with that? You'd be surprised. And I've told you about people I've met in this county told me they went to church the first time and wore jeans because that's how people dress in this county. These were poor people and the preacher stood up and railed on them for wearing jeans to the house of God. I'd stab. Well, that's, that's not right. You talk about the heart of the devil. Wardrobe. Let me go a little bit further on this wardrobe. The best people say preachers shouldn't wear tennis shoes when they're preaching. Give me book chat. That's probably in the Old Testament. I don't read that part. T-shirts. I'll come up here in my swim trunks if you want, but it doesn't matter to me. Well, I wouldn't do that, but it, it just I don't want to distract. <laughs> I got to tell you this. My wife is so kind. She... She, girls learn from my wife. She handles men so well, me so well. She said, I'm going shopping. We're going on vacation. She said, I'm going shopping. She said, would you like me to get you some new bathing suits? I said, nope. What she meant was, you're old enough to stop wearing bathing suits with bananas on them. Let's get you some more. Could we do that? But she said it real nice. Would you like some new ones? Which is a nice way of saying, you ain't wearing that stupid mess tomorrow, are you? I love that woman. But wardrobe and uh, stone scripture. Number two, religious attendance and activity. You can't go fishing on Sunday night. We've got church on Sunday night. We just fixed that. Nobody goes to church on Sunday night anymore. But there's this unspoken requirement that you need to be involved in certain religious activities. You're going to be part of our church. Show me that in scripture. I don't want anybody. You say, Brother Brian, you need to put, tell them people they need to come to church. If you don't want to come, don't come. I want people to follow God because they want to. I never told my wife, you got to kiss me whether you like it or not. That wouldn't have gone over my house even now she is. Where do we get this stuff of beating people up if they don't do what we think they ought to? That's not scriptural. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that. Number three, and this, is, this shapes my butt. I shouldn't say that in church, but it just really does. That saying shapes your butt in church is another one that's there. So I, I think. No vulnerability. You better not act like you got troubles you come in our church. You better put on your praise the Lord face and you come in here and you better act like you got it together. Don't you stand up and tell folks in our church your marriage is having trouble. They'll criticize you. They'll talk about you. And don't you dare stand up and say you struggle with pornography in church. They'll clean your clock for that. I thought the church was a place for sinners. I thought the church was a place where people came to get their mess straightened out. I go in churches and I look in there and I think, 
There ain't no way y'all can live like you look. Nobody lives like this except the mannequins down at the Belk store. <laughs> Did you ever notice the goofed up people that hung around Jesus, how messed up they were? But this, this air, it's a religious air gets on churches. I've seen people fight like cats and dogs in the car coming to church. Get to the door, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, pastor. Isn't it a beautiful day? Praise God today. Hallelujah, hallelujah. And I'm thinking, what does the Bible call that? Hypocrisy. Well, somebody should write a song, just as I am without one plea. My only claim to flame is that his blood was shed for me. That's all I got to offer. What's wrong with being vulnerable in a place where you can be cared for? I can't stand that stuff. I, the wardrobe don't bother me much, but I don't like that one. Number four, secular music. I understand our preacher listens to country music. Yep, I sure do. And, and that, I can remember when they jumped you for listening to rock music. And, and tell, why do I have to listen to George Beverly Shea all the time if I love Jesus? I don't see that nowhere in the Bible. Oh, I think I hit a nerve right there, didn't I? That probably didn't go over too well with somebody. If you want to listen to Christian music all the time, that cheesy mess on Caleb and the Mac Silly, God bless you. Go ahead. I'd rather hear Bob Seger. I'm, I just... Now, when I'm in church, I don't think we ought to be... We get a little carried away on the other side. Standing as we sing, whiskey for my men and beer for my horses. Let us all sing. I don't think we ought to do that. I can just see it coming. But the deal is, would you leave people alone? Why don't you just love God and love people and get off of it? And if I'm going to listen to a classic rock, I'm going to listen to it so loud that bugs are falling out there. I'm just, I am Peter Pan. I'm never going to grow up. I'm sorry. I'm going in by grace. And then you got these people listening to this weird music. And I think, that is so stupid. But it ain't unbiblical. If you want to torment your head, that's your business. Just don't turn it on while I can hear it. I'm out people, people take you aside. You, you listen to that stuff. Heard that, heard, went by your car and heard that mess the other day. Heard Eric Clapton. I heard that mess. <laughs> when I was young, I used to turn it down not to offend them. Now I turn it up just to piss them off. It don't matter to me. <laughs> Let's just don't record tonight. That'd be good. <laughs> Number five. I can, remember, I can remember when I first started, you were disciplined in church if you went to the movies. Movies and TV. I don't care what you go see. If you don't feed your head on that stuff, that's your business. But you know what? The scripture does not say. There, nowhere in the Bible does it say anything about not going to movies. I, I just don't get it. People think this modern stuff ain't in the Bible. Yes, it is. It's all in there. Uh, let me throw this one. I wouldn't go throw this in. Here's a dirty 13. Smoking. I've seen people, they, you couldn't be a deacon if you got caught smoking. Well, I can't see in there where you can't be a deacon if you smoke. The smoking won't send you to hell. It, now, wherever you're going, it'll get you there faster. But it is not going to send you to hell. They smoked in the Bible. You never saw it. Don't you remember? Rebecca saw Joseph and lit up on a camel. Y'all didn't see that in there? (laughs) 
and I, I'm, not even, I'm not saying smoke or don't smoke. It's your life. Do what you want to. But I'm just telling you, we are saved by grace, not grace plus not cigarettes. Where do people get this stuff from? And you know what's even, you know what's even, I'm fixing to cut them now. You know what's even worse than having a rule, thou shalt not smoke in your church? Nothing's written down, but you just look at them a certain way. That old Pharisee look on them. If I did smoke, I'd kiss you right in the mouth if you looked at me like that. Mm. All right, I'm sorry. Number six. And you talk about getting busted on this one your relationships with sinners. Now this Bible forbids a believer to marry an unbeliever. Don't do it. But it's not because he hates you. He's trying to save your hide. But dear ones, I've never understood why Christians huddle up in the salt shaker and run from sinners. I've been called on the carpet for hanging around with evil people. I like wicked people. Jesus loved wicked people. I got... I had a family left this church one time. They just, they said, this is our last Sunday here. We're never coming back is what you said. You know what I said? I said, y'all hate gay people because they're gay. I said, heaven knows I got some gay friends I'd rather eat lunch with than a lot of Baptist preachers. I thought that'd go over good. They met me after service and said, we'll never be back again. You say something like that. Let me tell you the truth. I got gay friends I'd rather eat with than a lot of Baptist preachers. They're, I'm not pushing anybody's cause. They're just nicer. I like to be around people that smile once in a while. Besides, them Baptist preachers claim to be saved. You don't need me. I just love to do this to them. Can I ask you? Well, we're there. Turn to me to Luke chapter 15. We're, we're close enough. We're in the neighborhood. It's just one block away. Luke chapter 15. I'm going to show you the spirit of Pharisee in case you get this, get this on you. I'd eat dinner with the hell's angels if they'd had me. Because you know what the problem with them is? We're all so old we can't hurt nobody anymore now. They're all over 70. <laughs> Luke 15, 1. All the tax collectors and sinners drew near to Jesus to hear him. The Pharisees and scribes complained saying, this man eats with sinful people. Who ate with sinful people? Who hung around with sinful people? You're going to follow the Pharisees? You're going to follow Jesus? Let me tell you something. I wish every one of you had a lot of lost friends. I wish you'd eat with them. I wish you'd have them to your house for dinner. It's just real hard to be the light of the world when you got all your flashlights shut up in a toolbox called a church. Never mind. Number seven, this was big when I first started in youth ministry. I got in trouble a bunch of times over this one. Uh, mixed bathing and bathing attire. I don't make a lick of sense to you, does it? It didn't make none to me then. But we took kids to camp. They didn't allow mixed bathing. I thought, well, God forbid. Nobody, they shouldn't go in the shower together. That wasn't what they meant. They couldn't swim together in the pool or the lake. So back then, if you took young people to camp, the boys could swim for an hour and the girls couldn't look. It's amazing I still follow Jesus after all the people I've met. And then the boys had to go, they, the girls could go, but the boys find a way to look when the girls went. I guarantee you they found a way. <laughs> and then, they, then we came down with these rules, only one piece swimsuits. 
I vote for that for certain folks, but it's not. <laughs> it's not spiritual. Where do we get this stuff from? As long as you're wearing yoga pants, you need to get off everybody's backside. Are you with me? Get off their backs. My goodness. I'm sitting in the gym one night at the Christian ball game and a deacon there, he was was so mad. He said, this is disgraceful. The uniforms, them girls are playing basketball. And God Almighty, they came down to their knees and their elbows. I thought she looked like a nun playing basketball out there. He said, that'll make men lust. I just just said, that makes you lust. I said, you gotta be kidding me. We a rapper in a bed sheet. You think I'm lying about this stuff, don't you? Some of you have suffered at the hands of these people. I started to tell him the truth. I just thought, keep your pearls in your pocket. Let me tell you something. If that makes you lust, that's got more to do with your hurt, your heart than her behind. That was good right there. (laughs) That's one of the best things I ever said. What does the scripture say? To the pure, all things are pure. To the undefiled, everything's defiled. The problem's not in your eye, the problem's in your heart. Cold water ain't the answer for a nasty heart. Anyway, it makes swim attire. I don't think they have that swim attire thing anymore. I'll swim naked now, as far as I can tell out there. This is a big one they fight over, doctrinal agreement. We have to all agree on everything in the Bible before we can go to church together. And I'll fight you over anything we don't agree over. I'm so tired of it. The world's going to hell and we're discussing the fourth return. I don't get it. People are broken and we're fighting over nitpicky issues. Drives me up the wall. All right. So Brother Brian, do we have to agree on anything to walk together? Yes. There are some essentials we have to agree on. If you disagree on these, you're not a liberal, you're not right, you're lost. We have to agree on some things. And I want to show you the list in case anybody ever wonders. It's in Ephesians chapter four. This is the list that we have to agree on. We don't have to agree on uh, the second coming of Jesus. We don't have to agree on whether it's premillennial, postmillennial, or amillennial. You say, I don't know what that means. Good, don't go find out. <laughs> Stick with love God, love people. I, I get fussed out because you don't train these people deeper, deeper in the Bible. Love God, love people. And I've told you how to get people saved. Go. That's all you need right there. And I taught you how to pray too. Do that too. All right. Ephesians 4 is where we find the essentials that we have to agree on to walk together in Jesus as a body. Verse 1, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord beseech you to walk worthy with the calling with you were called. Listen, you do need to walk worthy of the calling of Jesus. Some things we want to do. With, look at this, verse 2. With arrogance and cockiness. No, with humility and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another. Guess what the word bearing with one another means? You're going to have to put up with some things if you're going to be in a relationship. You're not going to get your way all the time. Verse 3, working, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now, here's the essentials. Number one, there is one body. There's one body. If you say all the people, all religious people on the earth are going to heaven, you're wrong. There's one body. The body of Christ is it. There is one body, there is one spirit. There are not multiple spirits. Verse five, there is one Lord. Amen. 
We have to agree on that. You say, well, I, I think all these other gods will get you there. You, you're not left wing, you're lost. There's one Lord. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. This will get you in a fist fight with certain people now, preachers in this city. Jesus said, I'm the way, I'm the truth. And you said, well, don't, don't argue and fuss with people. No, this is different. Let me tell you something. If you disagree with this, you're lost forever. That is worth talking to people over right there. But listen, do it with what? Humility and gentleness. Don't be cocky about it. A lot of people, we got the right truth. We just got the wrong attitude. You can have the truth and be so cocky and snotty that nobody wants to hear you. The humility and the truth is what go together. There's one Lord. The scripture says in verse five, there's one faith. So you narrow-minded thing. I didn't write this. Narrow is the road that leads to life. Few there be that find it. My job is to help you find it. Am I really your friend? If I know that Jesus is the only way and I don't tell you that's the way. That's not loving people. If the road's out and the bridge is out and I don't stop your car, that's not love. That's disregard. There's one Lord. There's one faith. The Bible says there's one baptism. That's not talking about water baptism. That's talking about the baptism into the body of Christ. There's one way into the family of God. Good works is not the way. I talked with a guy recently. He's a doctor and uh, he didn't believe you needed Jesus. He said, I have saved lives all my life. That'll get me into heaven. Can you see the deception? What does that say right there? There's one baptism and the baptism is not you be good enough and save lives. The baptism is not give money. The baptism is faith in Jesus by the Holy Spirit. We are baptized into the body of Christ by the Holy Spirit. You come by faith. Jesus is it. He's the only way. We have to agree on that. Uh, that that's the, these, are, these are called the foundational truths. There's one spirit, one baptism, one God and Father of all. There's one God. There's not many gods. There's one God. You say, boy, you're going to get in trouble talking like that. I didn't write it. My job is to love people. And there's times where Jesus got in trouble. Jesus never got in trouble for feeding the poor. He didn't get nailed on the cross for helping sick people. You don't kill Mr. Rogers. Jesus got nailed to the cross because of truth. But the same truth that fires people up sets them free. And we need to be, a, but these, but you notice what's not in there. A lot of stuff's not in that list right there. It's not a lot. We don't have to agree on the, whether Jesus is coming pre-trib or post-trib. You say, well, I believe, I, I personally believe he's coming pre-tribulation. We're not going to fight about it. You say, I think he's coming post-tribulation. Fine. You stay here and go through that hell. I'm out of here. <laughs> I don't, you know what? I might be wrong. I'm still going one way or the other. We don't have to agree on that. We don't have to agree on how to do certain things. A lot of things we can get by and not agree on. We have to agree on the essentials. Jesus is Lord, one way in. Those are the essentials. Now listen to what this Bible teaches right here. On the essentials, we have to agree. On non-essentials, we need grace. Give people grace. I know people, I know they're wrong because it's unscriptural, but they're still getting into heaven, so I ain't fussing with them. I'm gonna smile, we're gonna go out to eat. And they want to fight, I'm going to change the subject. If you don't change the subject, I'm changing restaurants. <laughs> Turn with me to Matthew 23. Let me show you the spirit of a Pharisee. You ever heard the term nitpicker? Guess who made it up? No, it wasn't me. 
Boy, I'm going to show you the heart of religion right here. This stuff drives me up the wall. Matthew 23 is where Jesus is cleaning their clock. And Matthew 23, 23, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you bunch of hypocrites. God, he got along with everybody. You pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, but you neglect the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. You know what he said right there? Your wife will run to the store cooking something and she'll come back with a little box of spices and you'll say, whoa, 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 you can't use that. Can't use it. Pour it out. Cut out 10%. We're going to pay our tithe. You won't even let her make a cake till you tithe her coming. But you don't show the mercy of God to anybody. I mean, I just know people all like this. They're fussing because you, your dress is cut too low. If you've seen one, you've seen them both. Get over it, doc. We'll nitpick over little issues. The world will go to hell while we're fighting over tennis shoes. He said, he said you, you, you fight over these little things that don't make any difference in anybody's life. But where help the people with mercy and faith. Declare justice in the land. And then this is where this famous saying comes in right after that. Blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. That's where we get the phrase, to strain out a gnat, it's called picking a knit. That's where you get knit pickers from. How stupid is that? Here's my coffee cup, and I, got a, I see a gnat in it. Oh my gosh, mama! You come back later, and I got a cup, and there's a camel got his butt parked in it. And I'm holding him out there, and that don't bother me at all. That's double stupid right there. Jesus said, you spaz out over little things that don't matter and you won't deal with the big issues. Here are the big issues. Love God, love people. Amen. Whether I listen to Bob Seger or not is not an issue worth fighting over. Amen. I'm old. You say, I don't know who he is. He was a famous gospel singer a <laughs> long time ago. <laughs> don't look him up. I got to hurry because you got number nine. You got to stay in your camp. You got to stay in our camp. When I got saved in the Baptist church, I was not allowed to go see friends in charismatic churches. I wasn't allowed to go over there. They'd kick you out if you got caught with the charismatics. And I just thought, I'd say dumb things to them like, aren't we all in the family of God? Oh, 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 that didn't go over too good. And if you went with the Catholics, oh, they would tear your membership card up. Our heavenly father was walking with Gabriel down a sidewalk not long ago and he stopped in front of church. He said, Gabriel, first United Methodist Church. Gabriel, what's Methodist mean? I don't remember putting anything in about Methodist in that book I wrote. Do you? He said, no, sir, I don't remember. He said, Gabriel, traditional service nine, contemporary 11. He said, Gabriel, what's traditional contemporary mean? Did I put that anything in that book? No, sir, I don't know where they get this stuff from. That really happened. I was standing there going, yeah, yeah tell them. Where do we get this mess from? Stay in your camp. Now, I don't, let me tell you something. You say, well, if you love God, you wouldn't be in that church. You're wrong. In the Bible, in the book of Revelation, when he talks about the most perverted, defiled church, which was the church at Thyatira, they were purity screwed up. Listen to the last verse. However, I have those in your church who have not defiled their garments and they will walk with me in white. Some of the most screwed up churches, God's got people in those churches praying for them. They say, so if they love God, they get out of there. You ain't God, it's his church, don't worry about it. 
Bless them. I got to hurry up. Let's have some real fun. Alcohol. Alcohol. That made the dirty, dirty dozen. Son, I'm going to tell you what. You get, are you, in churches I was in, if, you, you, if Bud had better be your friend, it better not be in your hand. He'd better be your cousin. I'm tired of it. I'm going to settle the issue. Drunkenness is forbidden in the Bible, period, end of discussion. You don't need to get drunk. Ephesians 5.18, do not get drunk with wine. The Bible said in 1 Corinthians 6, drunkards will not inherit the kingdom of God, end of discussion, period. That's it. You say, crap, I've got to throw out my truly. Moderate drinking is allowed in the Bible. I told you, Joe Knight. I'm sorry. I wish I could, I wish I could ban all drinking. I think we'd all be better off for it. I ain't God. It ain't my program. Try open your Bible. I knew you're gonna need it. Turn with me to Psalm 104. If this don't strip your gear, you're gonna look at this in your Bible and say, when did he write that in my Bible? He, he stole that this afternoon. He wrote that in there this afternoon when I wasn't looking. Probably during the worship, he wrote that in there. All righty. Psalm 104 is where it talks about God's creation, everything he created, the beauty of all he created. I got news for you. He don't hang around. He's not just in the church house. He created everything there is. He created the coastline, the outdoors. His favorite color is green. I'm sorry if you're from Carolina, his favorite color is green because the throne is surrounded in green. And Psalm 104, and I, this ain't about alcohol. I just want to show you something. Psalm 104, 14, God causes the grass to grow for the cattle. Let me tell you, if the cows have something to eat, guess who made the grass grow? Right there it is. All right. And vegetables are vegetation for the service of man. If you had a salad this afternoon, he grew it for you. That he may bring forth food from the earth, wine that makes glad the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, that's your Mary Kay stuff, and bread which strengthens man's hearts. He talks about all this stuff he makes for the well-being of people. Bread, which gives you strength, you know, all this stuff. But it says in there, he made wine, which makes glad the heart of man. Now, I've heard people actually say, well, the wine in the Bible is not alcoholic. How does it make your heart glad if it ain't alcoholic? <laughs> Welch's grape juice ain't ever made my heart glad. It tastes all right, but it don't make your heart glad. But I just want to, can I just point out something to you here? Listen to this. God made wine, which makes glad the heart of man, which tells me God wants my heart to be glad. And if you need this, bless you. I heard Martin Luther is the greatest reformer that ever. The only reason you're not Catholic is because of Martin Luther, the great reformer. And Martin Luther, and I'm not knocking Catholics, but the great reformation. And I read a quote years ago, and it was the goofiest thing I'd ever heard. Martin Luther, and he was this, he was, he is the reformer. He's the guy who led the whole Protestant world. He's, he, brought the, he brought the world out of the dark ages in the 1500s. And Martin Luther is famous for, he was a rogue Catholic priest. He was rough. And one of his famous quotes is, God made beer because he wants people to be happy. I heard that and I said, well, I was a Baptist. I heard it first and I thought, God have mercy. You shouldn't even joke about that. And then I, you know, I got out of the Baptist camp and then I thought, well, that's cute. And then I read Psalm 104 and I said, dang it, the preacher don't know what he's talking about. <laughs> All right, if you're in living free, Psalm 104 don't apply to you. <laughs> All right.
because then you wouldn't be free no more. All right. I've, I've quoted this verse and people have got mad at me. Look it up if you want to. They, the religious people hung many ugly titles on Jesus. They criticized him mercilessly. Two of the things they said about Jesus, three, well, three, but two are in Matthew chapter 11. They called him a pig and a drunk. Look it up sometime. Matthew eleven nineteen. Jesus said, John the Baptist came neither eating nor drinking. You say he has a demon. The son of man comes eating and drinking. You call him a pig and a drunk and a friend of sinners. How many of you here are glad Jesus is a friend of sinners? Amen. Now the word pig there might say glutton in your Bible. We'd call it a pig today, but it means somebody who overeats too much. And the word, uh, and your Bible might say wine bibber. Well, that's not somebody who drinks wine. That's somebody who bibs wine. Y'all, some of y'all bib wine. It just means excessive drinker of wine. They were mad at Jesus because he ate cheeseburgers and he drank too much wine in their opinion. And I'm sure it tore Jesus up and he couldn't sleep at night. <laughs> now you fussing at God. I'm telling you, they're nuts. I do like the French centers when the, I got to hurry. We got to get out of here. Sabbath rules. <clears throat> Man, when I was growing up, if you went fishing on Sunday afternoon, you're lost. You just don't love God if you go fishing. I think, it's, I think if you go fishing on Sunday, I think it's because you love fishing. We weren't allowed to play football. I remember we went to play football one Sunday evening on the, preach, on the front lawn of the church. Preacher's wife came out there in tears and hollered at us and talked, Get all, what are you doing on the Sabbath? Her husband's on his fanny on the couch at home watching it on TV. In my little undiscipled mind, I thought, seemed like God would rather have you getting some exercise and laying there. It makes no sense to me. Football, football. And you can't do certain things on the Sabbath. And I, I try to respect the Sabbath in the community I live in, but nowhere in the Bible talks about that. All right, let me show you something. I'm going to take a little more time. Turn me to Romans 14 if you want to argue with people about these rules. There was a certain things that are essential. We need to humbly cling to the truth. But on the things that aren't essential, what does the Bible tell you to do? Leave it alone. Be merciful to people. And Romans 14 is where it talks about the way people look at the Sabbath differently. All right? I've got people in this church argue with me over this until <clears throat> I don't talk back. Romans 14, 1. Receive one who's weak in the faith, but not to disputes over what? Doubtful, non-essential things. He says, listen, being... Love one another, care for one another, but not so you can fight over issues you don't agree on. And here's one of them in particular. It's in verse four, I think. Excuse me, verse five. One person esteems one day above another. Another person esteems every day like you got it. One person thinks that the Sabbath is special and set aside. You shouldn't go to restaurants on it. You shouldn't work on it. You shouldn't do anything on the Sabbath. Chick-fil-A don't work on the Sabbath. But it's just because they want their workers to have a day off. And then other people, they, every day's alike. So which one's right? What did the Bible say right there? That's your personal preference. That is a non-disputable thing. A church I pastored one time, the guy that was there before me for years, this is back when he didn't have a washing machine, he had babies and diapers get dirty. And when they got an emergency, he needed, needed to go to the laundromat, wash the baby's diapers. He would not go on Sunday till 12.01 on Monday morning. That's a fine, God bless you. He wasn't ugly about it. He just said, I, I'm not going to do labor on the Sabbath. If my babies need diapers, I'm going during the worship service. It don't matter to me. That doesn't make me bad. That doesn't make me right, him wrong. What does it say? One, some people esteem this day. Others don't. What does it say? Let everybody be fully convinced in his own mind and quit fussing about it. 
quit arguing about it. Now, one of my dearest friends, he was like a dad to me. He was a deacon on my churches and uh, he was going to wear a coat and a tie if his foot was on a church property. It didn't matter. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, but he didn't care what anybody else wore. He was never arrogant about it. He said, my mama raised me like that and I'm going to do it. And I honored him for that. It wasn't a Pharisee spirit. He just wanted to do it for his mama. Well, that, that's good. And me and him got along well. We never argued about it because he didn't have a snotty attitude about it. What's the whole, what's scripture say over there? And you can read all of chapter 14. It says this, your attitude is more important than your necktie, than the nitpicky doctrines. And we need to show grace in this thing. So on the Sabbath, let me tell you, if you want to go to the race, go to the race. If you say, no, I'm going to refrain and take that as a full day to the Lord. God bless you. Be blessed. Enjoy it. Whatever you do but it's not worth fighting over. A lot of things we fight over, not worth fighting over. I'm going to do one more and then we got to get out of here because I need to get out of here. I need to have somebody pray and I need to leave before y'all dismiss. Number 12, reverence. Reverence has caused me more trouble. You could probably tell that tonight. People, there's this religious spirit that says anytime you come in a religious building, you should change your attitude. Like, and you got to get, they call it reverent. I call it spooky. Like you're supposed to just change who you are when you come to the church. Like they even change their voices. Praise the Lord. I've seen preachers get on the pulpit and met them. And I go, what happened to them on them steps over there? What? You was talking normal to me about football and air It is so good to be in the house. And I'm like, Where, what happened to you? You don't need to change nothing anywhere. You see, in the house of God's sacred, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. I'm going to talk to you the same way I'd talk to you in the A&P or, when, or wherever we go to grocery. I said, I'll show you how long I've been since I've been there. I'm going to talk to you the same way I do in the food line because I'm going to be the same person here that I am in the food line. But this, like this holy thing comes over people in a church. It's really the Greek word for reverence is rigor mortis. It's not reverence, dear one. I just think you was normal when we was outside listening to Bob Seger in my car. What happened to you in here? You know what I think? I think they spray stuff in the air. I think it's something in the system they spray in the air that gets on them people. I think the organ music hypnotizes them. That's what I think about it. Let's just settle this thing. If you read the Gospels in the book of Acts, did you see people acting reverent in there? Every place Jesus went, they broke out excited and they were celebrating. They were happy. They were thrilled. Nobody was reverent in the Gospels of the book of Acts. So why do I have to do it today? We need to kick this religious to the curb so people can be free and enjoy themselves. All right, I'm going to tell you one that sort of rubbed me a little bit wrong years ago. I don't know if y'all remember this, not a laughing revival broke out. Y'all ever heard of a laughing revival? Well, some of you have. And we had revivals. You know, when you're supposed to be real serious, you go to church. You say, I don't believe in that stuff. Hang on. It's my night to offend everybody. And they had this revival broke out called a laughing revival. And the people said, you know, the Holy Spirit would come in the room. Everybody just bust out laughing. Well, I'm watching it on TV. I don't mean they was chuckling. I mean, they couldn't stand up. I mean, ha, ha. They're just laughing. And I'm mad if I got watched the guy. I like to listen to him. And it just got on him one night in the pulpit. He couldn't, he couldn't hardly even stand. He and he'd try to restart. He'd go, ha, 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 ha. He started laughing. And the people just started chuckling like y'all are. Well, he started, he just walked down there. And as he walked by, they, every person he walked by do the same thing. And boy, preachers lit him up. That is evil. That's just evil. That's just so no reverence in the house of God. All right, we're going to let y'all vote. Jesus or not? Number one, I don't give a rip. 
but since everybody wants to know Jesus or not, you'd be surprised at the preachers who said that, that said that's of the devil. You better be careful attributing stuff to the devil. I got this book. I like to go to this book. Turn with me to Psalm 121. You wrote that in there during the worship too, right up there with that alcohol thing, didn't you? Psalm 121. I'm sorry, 126. Psalm 126. You said, I just don't believe God would make people laugh like that. Well, listen, anytime you have a question, who should you call? Where should you go? Go to the Bible. Psalm 126, 1. You're going to learn a lot of stuff in your Bible tonight you know it's in there. You're going to learn a lot tonight you thought was in there that ain't. Verse 1, when the Lord brought back the captivity of Zion, there's anybody here Jesus is set free. God set me free. That the captivity of Zion's God's people. We were like those who dream. How many of you just think you're living in a dream come true because Jesus has saved your hide? Boy, I do. Then our mouth was filled with laughter, our tongue with singing. You say, how do you know God did it? And they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. And we are glad. Who made them people laugh and be glad? That's the God of the Bible right there. Now, I'd be honest with you. I hope it don't get on. I've started to hope it don't get on me in this church. That's a good way for it to get on me right there. But you know what the whole point is? I don't know. I don't care. I'm not going to judge people. If you, if, if you get, bottom line is when it's all said and done, if you love Jesus more and you love people more, I wish all of you'd laugh like a bunch of hyenas. I don't care what it takes. But the whole, whole issue, I, I'm done. I shouldn't have got off on all that. This is a great problem even today. Everybody wants to put this subtle religious stuff on you. The entire book of Galatians is written to say, do not let them do this to you. Christ sets you free. Stand firm in the freedom wherewith Christ has made us free. He said, well, Brother Brown, I think you should cooperate with people. All right, I'm, we're not going to look it up, but I'll go back to the Bible on this. If you're a weaker brother and, and you, there's things that I do that you don't have the freedom to do and you're really struggling, I won't do it in front of you. That's Romans chapter 14. If you have freedom, have it to yourself. Don't flaunt it in front of people. You know, if, if you just really just got saved and you're afraid that Bob Seger will send you back to hell, I'll put it on a religious station for a while and I won't do it with a bad edge. I'll do that for you. Because you're trying. You, you just, you ain't got there yet. And I won't, I said, fine, fine. I had wrong attitude. <laughs> wrong attitude. My goal is to help people. But if you're, a, if you're a preacher or a professional religious person with a religious spirit, I'm going to jack that sucker up till it cracks the glass in your car. <laughs> you're not bringing me into your religious bondage. You see that scriptural? Paul the apostle said this in Galatians 2 verses 3 through 5. He said, Titus was my associate and he didn't want to get circumcised. But this happened because of false brethren who came into the church to spout our freedom which we have in Christ to try to bring us into religious bondage. Verse five said, I didn't yield to them for a second. He said, I'm not giving up my freedom for a bunch of Pharisees. And I'm gonna tell you something. I ain't got nothing to lose. I was going to hell. I'd have been in hell by now if it hadn't been for Jesus. I was miserable. I was lost. I was dangerous. Jesus has set me free and I'm gonna love him and enjoy it and holler about it and celebrate it. And you ain't add nothing to the love God and love people. I'm tickled right there. 
and I want you to live free. I'm telling you, living free would be a good name for something. You need to come up with a living free church or something like that. And the deal is, <clears throat> I don't want to fight about nothing, but you ain't putting your mess on me. You say, Brother Brian, I, I just really believe, you know, I've had people say, you know, our church is this size now. You really should dress up a little better now. <laughs> it ain't happening, Bubba. I keep having to remind y'all of something. This little church, when they hired me, I was all they could afford at the time. Y'all could pay a big time preacher now, but you stuck with this one for a while longer. I'm sorry. You know what the deal is? I'm telling you, I hate to see people in bondage to addiction, drugs, or religion. One bad, bad as the other. I got to get y'all out of here. Lord Jesus, I want to praise you and thank you so much. Your word is so wonderful. All you ever tried to do was help us. You never put chains on me. You break the chains off. You've never bound me with stuff. You, all you ever talked about is being free. You, you didn't go up to the man and say, do you want to be in trouble? You said, do you want to get healed? I do. I want to be free. I, I love you so much, but my soul is so sick of the garbage that people put on each other. By the way they dress, how they talk, what music they listen to, what church they can go to, got to salute when they go in, got to act like they got a curtain rod rammed down. To, I don't want that stuff no more. I just want to love you and love people and serve you and help people. That's all I want to do. I'm a simple guy and that's about all I can stand. That's just enough rules for me right there. And I want to praise you and thank you. I pray for all my friends tonight. I pray I have knocked all the religious chains off of them. And those that struggle with what I said tonight, I humbly, humbly submit before you. Tell them just come to you and ask. We just go to you over this stuff. I just want to praise you and thank you. you. I just can't count what you've done for me. I'll never get over it for eternity. And I want to bless you and praise you. And Lord Jesus, I don't want to get to heaven in a fancy religious coat and tie with cufflinks, talking like a TV preacher and get up there and y'all having fun. I want let thy kingdom come on the earth as it is in heaven. Whatever y'all are doing in heaven, that's what I want to be doing down here. I want heaven to come down to earth and people to live free and love free and cheer for each other. And Lord Jesus, I ain't got time to be checking everybody's phone and their records. And I just got too many people that need help to be being the religion Nazi. I thank you that you came to set people free. I speak freedom over the whole crowd tonight, all of them. In the strong name of Jesus, go enjoy your life and quit worrying about what everybody says. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Our guys are here for prayer. If you need prayer, come on. We're going to pray with you and love you. Get you free and have a big time. Please don't tell anybody anything I said tonight in here. <laughs>